This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, June 17th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. We begin the show as we often do on Fridays with Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics from his Fort Smith office. Michael, welcome back to the show. Did you say June? Because it feels like August. Did you say June? I did say June. Okay. I did say June. I told uh, one of my coworkers yesterday, I stepped outside for a few minutes, and I said, it feels like a wonderful straight jacket of humidity outside. Yes. Yep. I wouldn't put wonderful in there, but yeah, the rest of that was correct. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about some of the things that came to light this past week. And one of them I think is so interesting for so many reasons, and that is a construction moratorium that could be part of these military jets that are coming to Fort Smith. It's a complicated issue, and it has a lot of different angles. Uh, uh, a lot of angles. Um, and so... <laughs> Where does one start? I think for background, of course, you know, Ebbing Air National Guard Base, which is where the 188 is here at the Fort Smith Regional Airport, was selected um, by the Air Force uh, last year to be the home base for this foreign military pilot training center. So we'll be getting F-16s. If it's approved, the final decision has not come down yet. But if it's approved... Um, well, the airbase will be getting F-16s and F-35s initially from the, uh, from the Republic of Singapore, their air force, other countries could participate, but it'll be a big, um, economic benefit, of course, to the force metro area could add close between air force personnel, foreign military personnel, private contractors, that kind of thing could be up to 800, 900 jo- <clears throat> new jobs, um, so part of it is, though, of course, the F-16s are loud. The F-35s are even louder. And so the Air Force is in the process of conducting an environmental impact statement. And so some of that is noise impact, obviously. And one of the things that the city of Fort Smith is concerned about is um, new rooftops, new residential rooftops being built in this area immediately east and west of the ends of the the main runway where most of the the jets will be taking off and landing. And so um, there's some talk to prevent Fort Smith from getting, you know, maybe, um, I I guess to boil it down, the concern is if there are too many rooftops and if there are too many rooftops being built in that area of concern, it could hurt Fort um, Smith's chances of staying at the top of the list and the um, other air base, the Selfridge Air Base up near Detroit. Um, and so they're concerned that they would lose, you know, the selection. So they propose this temporary moratorium on resident, residential construction. And it's a pretty large part. It's not just a couple of blocks on either end of the runway. It's a pretty large part of town. And so you have some developers, obviously, concerned about it. And for, for the right reasons, here's one of the complications you're talking about. You know, you've got a developer that's some developers who have spent hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, if not millions to get projects moving, going in the works. Now you're at, now you're telling them that they're going to have to wait possibly until after December 31st to 2023 to get moving on that. That's a while. You're tied up. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of demand right now for housing. Of course, another complicating layer on top of that is the rise in interest rates. How does that demand, how does that supply and demand picture look? 
how will it look through December 31st, 2023? Those are all complicating factors. So there is some pushback on this, but it's a delicate balance. I mean, right. You know, if you just let the developers uh, or let these developments go without any kind of restrictions, it could hurt the chance of this airbase coming in. I think so far, one of the, I don't, I don't want to say it's, um, reasonable or workable or doable. I'm not sure the right word, but maybe the more interesting and maybe something I would like to get, and we're going to work on hopefully getting more feedback on Mikhail Parker, who is president and CEO of the Arkansas College of Health Education. He pointed out, and I think rightfully so, and in his comments, he said, look, I want the base just as much as everybody else, but I've got a lot of students out here who need housing. And so his take was, why aren't we working with other communities who have these type of jets who, or have these noise impact issues? What did they have to do? Did their builders have to put in, you know, noise suppression, you know, different types of windows, different types of roof, different types of insulation? What did they have to do to meet those that the Air Force uh, agrees with or finds appropriate? And instead of a moratorium, we just say in those areas, you have to build according to these requirements. So it's somewhat of a compromise type solution. And we'll see what comes of that. But the letter that Jerry Canfield, the city attorney, who um, I'm not, well, the letter Mr. Canfield proposed uh, to city administrator Carl Gefkin was just pretty broad and pretty and it was kind of a surprise. It just kind of hit. I remember the first time I read it because you didn't really know this was coming about. And again, if I was a developer, I would and had thousands, if not millions of dollars tied up in projects. I would not be happy. All right. There will not be an indoor sports arena built in Fort Smith before the impact statement is done. <laughs> We're not even sure there will be one. We know that most people think it would be a good idea. But how do you pay for it? Yeah, that's that is the issue. Look, I'm one of those most people um, that thinks it would that think it would be a great idea. I, I had a thousand years ago when my <laughs> oldest daughter was younger. She played in this volleyball league, in this travel volleyball league, and for several years, uh, we spent way too much money traveling to you know Oklahoma City and Kansas City and Memphis and Dallas and Little Rock and you know, New Orleans, you name it. Um, uh, so I've been there. These indoor sports facilities, they do bring folks to a community. They bring them by the thousands. They spend money at your malls and your restaurants and your local stores and your hotels. And these things, these indoor sports facilities, if they're well-managed, they are money magnets for a region, period. I mean, I, there's to me, there's no debate. If you debate that they're not good for a community, I I don't I just don't see that as being a valid debate. But um, as you said, how do you pay for it? Now, this feasibility study that was conducted by um, conventions. Uh, let me pull always always mind blank on the name of this group, but it's um, convention sports and leisure group. They do these feasibility studies around the country. They presented their pr- proposal June fourteenth to the board. That was this Tuesday. They suggest that at the end of year four, by the time it's up fully going and it's got a reputation and a steady stream of business, 
It'll have a 42, roughly $42.5 million economic impact and result in 542 full and part-time jobs. So let's feasibility studies, I've been watching this long enough to know that sometimes they overestimate the economic yeah. impact. But let's say it's just half of that. Let's okay. say it's $21 million and 250 or 300 full-time jobs. That's still a good deal. That's still a good deal for a community. So, um, again, I, it, the debate about whether a community the size of Fort Smith Metro uh, could benefit from this, I think that debate's over. But as you said, how do you fund it? Um, the this feasibility study suggested a facility costs about $31.2 million. Again, in my history in watching these things, I always add on at least 20% because by the time you get around to building it, um, you know, it's two or three years away from when you've initially studied it. So that pushes the cost closer to about 38 million. Okay. So, but still, how do you fund it? Um, you know, voters have rejected, fortunately voters have rejected right. efforts to implement a prepared food tax right now. The city Fort Smith only has a 3% hotel tax generates, you know, a little less than a million a year. It's been estimated that prepared food tax around 1% would generate about one and a half to 1.8 million. That'd be enough to, I think would to finance something like this, but we'll see. But the voters have rejected that prepared food tax primarily because of ham fisted efforts by the city to push one and to explain why it was needed. So, uh, and I don't, I don't, say this to be um, hypercritical. It just is what it is of the city. I, I'm not sure the city has the pol- political credibility right, uh, to push this. Um, I think first, the city probably needs to prove to voters in a much, much, much more transparent way that it has a handle on this federal consent decree that the city's still under. Um, but Cal, maybe the best chance for a facility like this is if uh, a private committee of you know maybe diverse community stakeholders looked at it, presented a plan to the board, you know then it might pass and that that might be somewhat similar, not exactly but somewhat similar to what if you remember what the Fort Smith Public School District did with this large millage vote mm-hmm. in May 2018, they had they brought together a broad cross section of the community and remember 62 percent of voters in this very conservative area proved that very large millage increase. So it may be something like that. Now, the difficulty with, with the private committee, not, and by that I mean not one not appointed by the city. Mm-hmm. So that's the difficult part. How do you do that? How does a committee like that form organically? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Maybe, maybe the chamber, maybe this, that future Fort Smith group or a few other community groups get that moving. I don't know, but um, again, I, I think it would be great for this city and for the metro area, but it's just a matter of getting the money and convincing convincing voters because I think it's going to require some kind of mixture of public and private um, to get it off the ground. So by the time we talk next week, this will be resolved? And if by <laughs> next week you mean 2024, sure. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we will talk next week. How's that? Okay, I, I'm, I'm all for it. All right. Michael Till, you can read about these matters and so many others at talkbusiness.net. Michael, as always, thank you for your time. Hey, I always appreciate it. Thanks.
Ozarks at Large is underwritten in part by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Shiloh Museum of Ozark History, inviting everyone in the Ozarks to explore the museum and become part of its story by becoming a member. Members receive a discount on Shiloh store purchases, invitations to members-only events, and reduced fees on workshops and programming. For more information, shilohmuseum.org slash welcome-home. In tune with the myriad other Juneteenth events going on in the region this weekend, 64 Six downtown and Fort Smith Roundtable partnering to bring the River Valley community a celebration. It will be at the Riverfront Park and Amp. Special performances from guest U.S. Army Jazz Ambassadors beginning Sunday evening at 5. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with Talisha Richardson, Executive Director for 646 Downtown, and Clifton Culpepper, spokesperson for the Fort Smith Roundtable, about what people can expect to see, hear, and experience at the celebration. So what people can expect on Sunday is family-oriented activities um, from a variety of food trucks. Um, They're going to all be local. In addition to that, some vendors splatter throughout the event. We're looking forward to the Fort Smith Police Department. They're actually going to be handing out some trinkets just to make sure that they're engaging and participating within the experience of Juneteenth in our community. In addition to that, we kick off at 5 p.m. sharp. Um, We don't want anyone to miss the um, pre-show activities with the presentation of the color guard and the U.S. Army Jazz Ambassadors. And this is a first time show that they are presenting to the city of Fort Smith. Not Not many people know that Fort Smith was selected over some major metropolitan areas in our immediate surroundings, i.e. Memphis, Dallas, and Tulsa. Now, where did the idea to host a Juneteenth event come from? How did this start? In the early 90s, it started out as a very authentic or great organic grassroots approach to educating our local community. And it was just gathering at um, Martin Luther King Park, one of our local parks, with a grill, some coloring books for the kids, giveaways, and a simple flyer explaining what Juneteenth meant and what it meant to our community. And again, it's grown from there and it continued to have a lot of people evolving and throughout the celebrations, meaning many people wanted to be a part of it, Some cycled in, some cycled out. So I'm glad that now it's recognized nationally, federally, and then we'll hopefully get more people involved in next year and have more continuity of the activities that are going on in the community and surrounding areas. Clifton, I know you recently moved back. Have you celebrated Juneteenth, um, if at all, or seen the events and celebrations in Fort Smith? Uh, again, like as Talisha said, it's 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 relatively I mean, starting in the '90s. It's relatively new in this area, uh, but it, it it catches on really fast. In my travels around the country, uh, I've participated in just several different Juneteenth celebrations, uh, and it's it, there's each each region has its own little flair uh, to add to it. But you know, being that I mean, it's being that we're a part of the fabric of this nation. It just adds to the the coloring uh, and the energy of our of going into our summer. It's one of the first holidays going into the summer as well. So no, I'm really excited to be back home. 
uh, celebrating and, and contributing and, and bringing what I can to the community. How do you believe that the now federally recognized part to this holiday, how that will affect, if at all, the celebrations that, that are now ensuing? One of the things I would hope is that communities, not just those of color, build their awareness and their education, not only for themselves, but their coworkers, their circles of influence, and also their children. Because the only thing that we really need to do is really push the education aspect of it, number one, so we don't do this again. Um, number two, so that we're engaged in the discussion, and I love what Clifton said, we're all a fabric of this nation, right? We're a piece of that thread, um, and these are the ties that bind us. You know, and unfortunately, our community has been in bondage in the states versus some people leaving bondage and coming to the states. There's the difference. And I think that it's important for all of us to reeducate ourselves on what the Emancipation Proclamation meant for some and the opportunities we still have in our country. You answered part of my next question. How do we make sure that Juneteenth is more than just a moment, more than a monument, and instead becomes a call to action? Again, education. Education is important. I remember going through high school and there was a, a paragraph in my um, U.S. history book on the emancipation and a blur on, on slavery. Luckily, I had a instructor who was well-versed in history, who challenged us within our, our, our context in that moment to discuss it openly. And it was, and I will never forget Mr. Christie's class because he allowed us to have a discussion regarding why it was only a paragraph and what that meant to us. And he engaged the entire classroom in that discussion, not just the three Black people that were in the class. And I remember his class because he allowed us all to have a voice and to all have um, dialogue on things that we felt were important to us as individuals and as a community. Just to piggyback on that, uh, I hit Mr. Christie also. I didn't know that. He he followed, I like to think he followed me from my junior high to my high school just because I was such a good student. But, uh, but, but on its face, on its face, Juneteenth is a conversation starter uh, because it's always the question, even when you say the name, it's like, well, what is that? And, and right away you get to say, hey, okay, the Emancipation Proclamation, which most citizens can tie into, and then walk it out from there. So it's an immediate conversation starter. And I agree wholeheartedly with Talisha. Uh, that communication aspect is, is, is definitely, definitely needed in our community, especially in our society today. We have to talk about things both comfortable and uncomfortable. I spoke to Clifton Culpepper, spokesperson for the Fort Smith Roundtable, and Talicia Richardson, executive director for 646 Downtown, about this weekend's Fort Smith Juneteenth celebration at the Riverfront Park Amp, with special performances from the U.S. Army Jazz Ambassadors beginning Sunday at 5 p.m. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from Bella Vista is... Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. 
Becca, if you've got nothing to tell us about that's happening the next few days, I can just end this segment now. (laughs) I think that what I choose to tell you about is going to have a little bit different qualifying entry than you might expect. Or maybe not because you know me. I'm going to tell you the places I know have good air conditioning. (laughs) It's going to be hot all weekend. The AC's out at my house. The AC's not working real well at our Bella Vista office. I'm going to tell you where I know there's good air conditioning. Okay. Start with Arkansas Public Theater, which opens its production of Yasmina Reyes' comedy art tonight. Right. They have really good air conditioning. Mm -hmm. Like you should take a sweater. You'll be so happy there. And the play is pretty good, too. I don't know. If you don't know the story, it's three guys. One of them buys a painting that is basically a white canvas. He pays a lot of money for it. And then bickering ensues about whether it's art or not. Mm. It's also the first chance we get to see Jay Mashburn on stage at APT. And if you know Brenda Mashburn-Nemick, who directs there and acts there, it's her baby brother. Oh, fantastic. He's working from home, and home can be anywhere. So she finally got him on stage here. It should be a lot of fun. And there's a special exhibit in the Zephyr Blevins Gallery that Kenya Christian put together for the gallery with the prompt for the participating artist, What is White? And I I think we have a mutual admiration for Kenya Christian. And that should be a really interesting exhibit starting from that premise. So 8 o'clock today and tomorrow, no Sunday matinee because it's Father's Day. Right. 8 o'clock the 23rd through the 25th, and 2 o'clock on the 26th, tickets start at $20. They have, like, cold soda and beer and wine. It just keeps getting better. The theater that's on the square in the Global Campus Building, right. where they are doing Much Ado About Nothing, which is a collaboration among Arkansas Shakespeare Theater, the University of Central Arkansas, and the U.A., Now, here's the spoiler, which I read online and I loved. Benedict and Beatrice don't love each other, but then they do. Claudio and Hero love each other, but then they don't, but then they do again. Everyone gets married. Who knows whether they live happily ever after? And really, really, I don't think anyone can be mad about a spoiler alert about a Shakespearean play. It's been around (laughs) for a while. Well, here's another one that the director has taken the shape of the play from the fact that it's set in Messina, Italy, and she has figured in Greek mythology, like the female Gorgons of Homer. 7.30 today and tomorrow, Global Campus Theater on the Fayetteville Square. Tickets are $15 at uark.universitytickets.com. If you're on the far eastern edge of our listening area, the show will also be presented June 23rd through 25th, June 30th, and July 1 and 2 at the Bridges Larson Theater at UCA. And those tickets are available at ARK Shakes, ArkansasShakespeare.com. Also this weekend, the Northwest Arkansas Playwrights Festival 
is going on at the Ozark Mountain Smokehouse in Fayetteville, hosted by the Smokehouse Players. Hey, this takes place in a room they call the Chillin' Room, right? <laughs> exactly. So, no reserved seating. Get there an hour before showtime. You can check last weekend's What's Up for the schedule of plays. But there's like a dozen local playwrights and a bunch of local actors, and there's music before each play. And some of these have never been seen before, so they are world premieres. And it's all free with donations to Magdalene Serenity House. Moon Over Buffalo, the Ken Ludwig farce, is at Fort Smith Little Theater this weekend, 7.30 today and tomorrow. Tickets are $12. I can't vouch for the air conditioning there. And it's the River Valley, so they know how to keep cool. Right. And Miss You Like Hell is on at Theater Squared, which is a musical comedy by the co-creator of In the Heights. It's a mother-daughter show. It's on through July 10th. And again, you can find out showtimes at theater2.org. Tickets start at $15, and I can vouch for their air conditioning, too. Oh, and the Riverfront Blues Festival is also this weekend in Fort Smith, but it's indoors at the majestic Fort Smith and along Garrison Avenue and other venues. So they'll have they know how to keep cool in Fort Smith. Yeah, they do. They've been doing it for a while. <laughs> Well, you, you keep as cool as you can wherever you are, Beck. I hope at least one of your air conditioners, work or home, gets fixed soon. We'll talk again next week. Bless you, and thank you, and we will. It's a busy weekend. Fayetteville's Pride Celebration is all day and night tomorrow. The Benville Bike Fest is underway today and lasts through Sunday. And speaking of Sunday, the Juneteenth Freedom Festival is in downtown Springdale Sunday from 1 until 9. We invited Anthony Ball of Music Moves, an organizer of the event, to come to the Carver Center for Public Radio. He says there will be all kinds of activity and, of course, food. So we'll have soul food, we'll have street tacos, we'll have the carnival food, we'll have uh, Shave Planet, uh, Shave Ice, um, we have Bouncy House for the kids. We have a 65-foot obstacle course that's coming, inflatable, for anybody who wants, like adults, like big kids like me, and the, and the little kids that want to come, and it ends with a big old drop-off. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We got even uh, a smaller bouncy house for the babies uh, that, that that's looking for stuff. We have cb to you with Crystal Bridges. That's their uh, outreach uh, program. They go out and they have art kits, art paint with the kids. They introduce some of the exhibits. They introduce some of their artists that they have uh, at the exhibit. So it's a really nice event. We'll have Amazium. They're going to have a table there. Several other. We'll have plenty of giveaways. I think we have almost about 1,500 bags full of giveaways with free shirts, koozies, um, stickers, all kinds of free, free food and coupons from local restaurants and stuff like that. So there's a lot that's going to be going around around that stage. Uh, but And also, uh, the U of A, uh, the, the NWA Juneteenth Committee, they will be there actually uh, smoking, uh, doing barbecue, free barbecue from 1 to 4 as well, too, uh, in those first few hours of the day. So that's going to be really fun, too. All right, you said two things that really got my ears. One, yeah. there's a big old drop off at the end of this obstacle course. Define big old drop off. <laughs> it's a probably it's probably about a, a eight foot uh, drop. You know, slide slide down. Slide. I say drop okay. off. Okay. It's a okay. slide. It's a slide. Okay. It's a fun slide for the kids. Yeah. 
Secondly, you said free barbecue? Yes, yes. And uh, Nate Walls, he will be the <laughs> one that's going to be smoking it. Uh, we'll have hot dogs and hamburgers uh, from that, for those first three or four hours. So uh, get there early because it's, it's going to be a lot of, uh, lot of food, a lot, uh, lot of music, a lot of everything. All right. Speaking of music, mm-hmm. I want to talk about everyone. Yeah. Let's go to 8 p.m. Okay. I was in college in the 1980s. Okay. <laughs> Purple Rain came out, yep, right? Yeah. It was. I think it was like 82 or. It four, doesn't matter. The yeah, okay, year, right? I got you. I got you. Call the 80s. Yeah, it's 80s. Okay. <laughs> Morris Day. Yes. Who I really didn't like in that movie. I thought his performance was great, but he was a mean guy. <laughs> he was. Yeah. 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 But he's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's going to be there. I'm super excited about that. So let me tell you how that story happened. Okay. So, you know, of course, the music the music community in the country is not very big, right? So I always tell people, I can probably touch everybody. Like, if I don't know their management, I definitely know somebody in their band. Uh, so his guitar player lives in Tulsa, and I recently met him like the last three years. Uh, last three years, he owns uh, the Juice Lounge, a small uh, music venue, really really cool swanky spot. Uh, so we we go there every every now and again and go and, and hang out with him. He was in in the Coming to, to America movie. That's right. That's remember right. The Sexual yeah. Chocolate Band. Yeah, yeah. He was the guitar player in that Sexual Chocolate Band. He hates to talk about that, but his name is Tory Ruffin. He's an incredible guy. Incredible musician, but he actually helped me uh, get those guys here. I all I, I love the uh, the the uh, Minnesota uh, music scene. It's amazing with the funk music and the gospel and the blues. There, uh, we toured through there a few times, but it's amazing. So we actually got we actually finally got to get him to come here. We've been trying for a long time, and we finally been able to make it happen. So it's gonna be a grand it's a, it's gonna be a grand appearance for sure. All right, that's an eight. There's music leading up to it that I do not want to discount. Yes. So now all my all my party folks, everybody knows the song This Is How We Do It. It's mm-hmm. just like the probably one of the biggest party songs ever to be created. Montel Jordan, he will be there with us as well too. We have an amazing gospel artist, uh Lamar Campbell, that's gonna be there. He's one of the best in the in uh in the in the in the gospel world. Uh we got Mr. Sip. He won um the international blues competition in the early two thousands. Uh he's from Mississippi, so he called himself the king of Mississippi blues so he's coming up as well and we got a local favorite jukebox party band they will be there uh, as well too and we got a bunch of special guests that's going to be blessing the stage saying hi welcoming people Uh, we got everybody from uh, you know Ronnie Brewer that's going to be there Uh, Helena Gaddiston Stephen Ivey over at St. James a bunch of you know local celebrities that's going to be there as well uh, too so it's going to be a family affair community too right oh yeah oh yeah i mean it's like the whole northwest arkansas community um i want to give a shout out to papa rap because uh you know everybody knows papa rap and he's really big on the latin community uh in the springdale area rogers area uh and i was in some in some meetings with him uh and i just love the way that they uh they celebrate their heritage and their culture and i felt like we needed a bigger presence of that in northwest arkansas and Thank you to, to, to Walton Family Foundation 
Foundation, the Tyson Family Foundation. We were able to kind of widen the platform. It's always been in Northwest Arkansas, but of course, the last two years, Juneteenth has become a federal holiday. Um, so we we with, with our uh, with our partners uh, Interform from last year, uh, Robert Atkinson over there. We joined up with the uh, NWA Juneteenth uh, Committee from uh, the U of A, and it's a, a new organization called Community Cohesion Project (CCP). Uh, it's a, a joint uh, venture between Procter and Gamble and Walmart to uh, promote equity and diversity throughout Northwest Arkansas. So uh, we joined up with the, with those uh, other other two organizations, and we were able to just build on to this already great celebration that's been happening in Northwest Arkansas for a long time. Anthony Ball is Vice President of Music Moves and an organizer of this year's Freedom Festival taking place Sunday from 1 until 9 along Emma Avenue in downtown Springville. The event's free, open to the public. He spoke with us yesterday. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, Northwest Arkansas Retirement Community, catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Offering a variety of activities, living options, plus outdoor spaces, including access to city trails. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more information. Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, a family-owned garden center with four locations in northwest Arkansas. Westwood plants are grown locally and offer a variety of annuals, perennials, hanging baskets, and more. WestwoodGardens.com for more. The first Lavender Festival in Newton County takes place tomorrow at Ozark Botanicals. That's spelled A-U-X. ARC. It's on a farmstead located 10 miles north of Ponca along Highway 43. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, the day-long festival includes live music, food trucks, and fragrant lavender demonstrations and products. Lavender farmer Karen Fancher harvests mature fresh lavender flowers using a sharp hand sickle this windy summer morning. She carefully places the tied bundles into a bushel basket. She murmurs to honeybees as they feed nearby on the large purple blossoms, her floral frock billowing in the warm breeze. And these are great pollinators. I'm really thankful for that. But they seem to be very mellow, so we'll just talk to them a little bit. Shoo them away. Come on, guys. I want that one. Okay. Fancher is retired from a 50-year career in nursing. 30 years of that as an emergency room nurse with help from her late husband, Scott Fancher, an agricultural attorney and USDA agent, and four grown children, she's establishing one of the region's first lavender farms. I have five different varieties here. I have um, Munstead, which is a really, really sweet-smelling plant. I have a Hidcoat, and it's that darker purple down there. I have... um, phenomenal, and that's these really long-stemmed ones. They're the ones that make great wands. Um, Grosso and Provence. These up here are Provence. There, let's just take that up and I'll show you how I band it. Then we'll take some down to the barn and dry it. Fancher slides open a heavy door on the family's 100-year-old barn. They call the Happy Place Barn. The breezy facility has recently been refurbished with a new concrete floor, cedar-planked walls, restrooms, and a kitchen. Uh, The place where we have our venues, our weddings, our family reunions, our um, meetings, our classes. I do a lot of classes here. 
Here she instructs master gardeners from across the Ozarks on growing botanicals, but tomorrow this barn will be filled with visitors attending the first lavender festival in Newton County. But more about that in a minute. Fancher has a bushel of lavender bunches to cure, which he carefully hangs upside down on two large wooden racks in the kitchen. Um, up to two to three weeks, but these, because the weather's so warm and dry right now, these are going to be faster. And then what do you do with them? Well, then I store them in a tote until I'm ready to work them up. The dried lavender will be packaged into pretty sachets, hair scrunchies, ribbon, clad wands, and potent essential oils, which she sells at the Jasper Farmer's Market every Tuesday and Friday. Lavender, a flowering perennial in the mint family, is native to the Mediterranean, the Middle East, and India, historically used to freshen and scent bedding, clothes, and bath water, Lavender oil remains a popular ingredient in soaps, shampoos, lotions, and creams. It's increasingly used as a culinary herb as well. And farming lavender has been a longtime dream of Karen Fancher, a native Ozarkian. I grew up about 11 miles from here over, if you, have you hiked Lost Valley? That's Clark Creek that comes down through there. I was a Clark, and we grew up on the ridge just west of of um, Lost Valley. The Clarks migrated to the Ozarks from Tennessee along with the Fanchers. Well, the Fanchers have been here almost as long or or as long as the Clarks. We all came here in the mid-1800s from the same place in Tennessee, Roan County, Tennessee. But this farm, however, is originally Clark land. This property, um, I'm the third generation of women to own this property. My grandmother bought it in the 60s. My mother then inherited it and lived on it after she was widowed because it was closer to town. And she passed about seven years ago and then we've been, we've, we've been split it up with the other kids, but I got this part and I thought this is gonna be perfect because I'd been interested in herbs and, of course, specifically lavender for 20 years. And this was my retirement plan, was to grow some lavender. An exceedingly large and healthy crop of lavender, the beds visible from the roadway nearby. Probably 20 years ago, I'd done a lot of reading and I came across a plant and bought it and I was really really in love with it and of course that became several more plants around the place that I had before I inherited this one and many of them I propagated babies from. She takes the cuttings from mature lavender and starts them in small pots. They take root and she plants them eventually, varieties that are able to tolerate Ozark's climate. Lavender's tricky to grow in the Ozarks. You have to be aware of its needs. It doesn't want wet feet. So if you notice, everything I have is planted on a slope so that the drainage is as improved as we can get it. Also, our land here tends to be acidic. Our soil is acidic. Lavender wants a pH up around seven. So I had to add a lot of lime to my property to bring the pH up to a normal growth habitat for lavender. Fancher first planted French lavender on her farm, but it doesn't do well here. She says it contains more camphor and is not as sweet as the English variety she cultivates and distills into essential oils using a five-gallon copper still. 
I think most people love the essential oil. And the essential oil is very therapeutic. It can be, it's some, one of the few that can be used straight or neat on the skin. It's good for burns, it's good for skin irritations. Lavender oil is safe to apply topically for burns and aches and just to smell good, but not to ingest. Lavender aromatherapy can be very calming. During tomorrow's festival, Fancher will demonstrate lavender farming and processing. I have got some that I'm going to mix with chamomile and lemon balm to make a little bath sachet that you just pop in the water when you're wanting to take a scented bath. The public will also be welcome to pick fresh lavender, but only in the morning. We can only do you pick in the morning. The oils start to dissipate the hotter it gets. And so by afternoon, it's not very good smelling anymore. It has to wait till it regroups overnight and starts again in the morning. The very first Lavender Festival in Newton County will also feature regional roots folk and country musicians Aaron Smith and the Coalbiters, Shannon Wurst and Brad Helms, Jake Fancher, and Ron Long and the Sidemen. Food vendors will also be on the grounds. The cost, $10 per person or $20 per vehicle. Kids under 12 get in free. The gates are open at 9 a.m. For details, visit ozarkbotanicals.com. That's A-U-X-A-R-C botanicals.com. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. With me via Zoom is Courtney Lanning. Courtney always tells us about a movie she has seen, lets us know if it's worth seeing. Courtney, welcome back. Kyle, thanks for having me. We have had a pretty good streak, I think, in 2022. More thumbs up than thumbs down. What'd you review this week, and where are we on the scoreboard? Well, you know, I think that um, this is going to be another thumbs up, maybe two thumbs up. This is one of the best movies of 2022 I've seen so far. And it has a fun name. It does. It's called Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Uh, It's coming to Apple TV Plus today. And, you know, this is... Apple TV Plus is is on a winning streak here. They are just fresh off their Oscar win for CODA, which you and I have discussed at great length as one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, They've got Wolf Walkers, which is, again, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I believe a few months back, you and I reviewed a Tom Hanks Apocalypse Robot movie on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, so they've got a lot of really great content when it comes to these movies. And Cha-Cha Real Smooth just comes along. It's real charming, funny, and heartfelt. And it's, again, easily one of the best movies of this year so far. All right. You said it was charming. It was heartfelt. What else makes it so good for you? You know, the, the writing is just so sharp and realistic. The movie handles these really heavy topics like, you know, miscarriage and and mental disabilities. And it gives them the proper respects that you just don't see in other films trying to tackle those topics. You know, the the story is about a guy who just graduates college, moves back in with his parents, doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life. Uh, He finds out after getting invited by his little brother to a bar mitzvah that he's a good warm-up dancer at the bar mitzvah. He warms up the dance floor at these bar and bat mitzvahs, gets the party started, and all of these Jewish mothers want to hire him to get their party started. You know, he lives in New Jersey. There's a, a good sizable population of Jewish families around, and 
you know, it's at these parties, he, he meets uh, a woman and her daughter who has autism and tries to get them to dance. They don't want to dance at first. He, he warms them up and he just really takes an interest in these two and especially the daughter's well-being. And it's just, it's very heartfelt and well-written. I think I was, you know, scrolling around Apple TV Plus the other day and they had a preview of it. And I think they described it, and you can never always trust these descriptions, but I think they described it as a romance, a romantic movie. Is that accurate? You know, it's, I, I'd call it a dramedy. Okay. You know, it's it's got really funny moments that'll catch you off guard, but it also has this relationship in it between, uh, you know, this college kid who's just kind of, uh, trying to figure out his future and, and a mother who had a kid herself way too early in life. And, you know, what I like about the love in this movie is it's not like other movies. Their relationship is messy. It's painful. And this movie kind of shows that love doesn't always work out, you know, and that alone kind of seems to be enough for this movie to be leaps and bounds ahead of so many others. You know, you and I, as we discuss often, we love movies with dinosaurs. We love movies with superheroes. But I also really am enjoying a trend. Like last week, we talked about uh, I'm Charlie Walker, which is just a straight sort of drama movie about human beings. This week, the same. We can co. These movies can coexist. You can have the big they blockbusters, can. and you can have these movies like The Tender Bar last year, and others that you've mentioned today. Yeah, you know. Uh... Philip Martin, who's the film editor at the Democrat Gazette and, and my boss for movie writing there, he said, you know, the way cinema is evolving, it almost seems like these big blockbusters are going to continue duking it out at the theater. You know, Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, uh, et cetera. But these, um, you know, smaller budget, real heart dramedy movies uh, and comedies, they might more migrate to streaming and might have better success they're finding their audience. Cha-Cha Real Smooth on Apple TV streaming today. Now, speaking of blockbusters, there's a big one coming out in theaters this weekend. Yes, it's Pixar's newest offering, Lightyear. And this is of note because this will be Pixar's first movie to come to the big screen in about three or four films. You know, right. their last few movies, Turning Red and uh, Soul they went straight to Disney Plus. So this is the first one that's coming back to the big screen for Pixar. And the way I understand it, okay, so this is sort of a meta movie because we've met Buzz Lightyear as a toy. And this movie is about what the toy does in the toys universe. I mean, not in, yeah. it, it's not, he's not, this is the fictional account, if that makes sense, of Buzz Lightyear. Right. So those who are familiar with Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear is obviously a fictional space ranger in that world where he is just a toy. Uh, and this movie is just about him actually being that space ranger. Uh, they actually had a, a series on Disney Channel uh, several years back called Buzz Lightyear Star Command that kind of followed this, okay. this same experience. This doesn't seem to be connected to that. They're kind of trying that anew with this, it sounds like. All right. So Lightyear, that's in theaters now. What will we talk about next week? Next week, I uh, hope to review a new movie coming Netflix, an action comedy called The Man from Toronto with Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson. Ooh, sounds interesting. All right. Uh, you can read the full review of Cha-Cha Real Smooth in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney will be back with us next week. Thank you, Courtney. 
Thanks for having me, Kyle. On the next Resilient Black Women. Joy and Denisha welcome their very first guest to the podcast, Dustin McGowan, to speak on the history and context of the longest-running African-American holiday, and now a national holiday, Juneteenth. And so you had a lot of these systems and, and rules and laws that really stifled the freedom in the South. And so you and so you have people moving further west, you have people moving to the north to try to get out of out from under those things. But we see that even in Juneteenth, that this is actually just a transition from one struggle to the next. Listen to Resilient Black Women for free at KUAF.com and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Faychella returns for its second annual run at Prairie Street Live on Saturday. The festival is family-friendly, features artists, performers, comedians, young musicians. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke to host Spider Crazy 8, whose own son will be performing, and Jay Wash about the event's ability to engage different audiences, as well as the journey to create a festival aimed at bringing people together through music. Million-dollar question, what is Faychella? Faychella, man. Tell me about this journey. How did it start? It's big, man. So um, I've, I've been doing uh, shows around Fairville for a while. We started at a club, Club uh, Lush. Uh, it's not here no more, but we've been doing a bunch of shows there. We wanted to get into, like, a festival vibe. And uh, my guy, Darren Sewell, he works at Kiss 105.3. And um, so he came up with this dope idea. Let's, let's do something that involves the kids. And... Um, so we, he was, and, and he always been really good with names, and he's like Faychella. I was like, man, that's pretty good. That's pretty catchy. And so we have kids come out and they're performing, um, dancers. Uh, we even have comedians this year, and, and and we did it last year, and it was really a good good show. It was a big show, real success. I was in Vegas actually last year when it happened, so I was able to watch it like split screen. We have this guy called. Uh, Festy Panda, and they at Perry is at Perry Street Live, and so they do this thing where like they're streaming it live on Facebook on 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 Darren's page, and so you can see it if you're not able to get out there live. And so with me being in Vegas, I was actually able to watch the whole entire show, so which was super dope. But um, it, it's just a festival that we want to get kids involved. Uh, another thing, we we deal with a lot of artists all the time. And you can't really get your kids to come watch you perform. So it's a big thing for that, too. You can connect with your, your own kids at a show. So it's kind of like that, something to bring the family together. What kind of music can audiences expect to hear from? What different genres um, will people will people hear? Well, it's so many different genres. All of it is all accepted. R&B. Um, we had a guitarist out there last time, uh, J.P. the Rockstar. Uh, dancers, all, all types of music is accepted. Hip hop, of course. <laughs> I love that it's also like performances. It's not just you know you get a little of everything, anything that's tuned. Um, what are the challenges? Is this the first yep. festival? Second, the second festival yes. you've put on. What are, have been the challenges in creating and you know getting all of these people together, figuring out branding? What has that process been like? Uh, just letting everybody know that they're welcome is, is probably the biggest thing. Uh, you know, they will ask that question. Is it just rap? Is it, can I do this? Can I do that? And, and when we let them know. And um, another big challenge is a lot of people don't have family-friendly music. And so it, it's creating and, and letting everybody know that you need this for certain type of performances. Some, some shows you cannot 
use uh, bad words. And so it's 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 like that. Those are the big big uh, challenges. But besides that, everything else has been really good. Uh, good. Uh, one more thing is, that, of course, the heat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On an outside festival, but um, we're making it fun this year. Uh, on Facebook, it's been a lot of chatter about water guns. What are you looking forward to people experiencing from the event? What do you hope they'll take away? But, um, yeah, I, I, w- I really want to have like that going to the fair type feel without yeah. the, the Ferris wheels and you, with your family, but you being able to see live music. You know, and, and people who are really talented uh, artists will be able to display their music to kids. These kids are consumers too, and they will, you know, they want to know who that guy is, and like, and probably look your music up. If I have kids, and YouTube is their favorite thing, and if you're a good artist, you might get, you know, million streams off these kids, man. You know, you never know. It really is. Yeah, yeah. it's a good way to get like. Actual real real fans, real followers, you know, because when they come to those places with their kids, if their kids like you, they're probably going to like you. They're going to have to hear you, you know, over and over. So you just got to do it right, you know. Mm-hmm. There we go. Well, I'm curious what the, if you know it all, the community response from the first one. What was that? What what were people saying afterwards? Oh, they, it was just they. Uh, a couple of artists I was able to talk to. They was like, man, it was just such a great experience to experience with their their, their kids. Uh, it was most of it was really formed around the kids. I would like to say uh, it's a big thing for the kids to come out there. I'm actually gonna have my son perform uh, this year, and so you know, the kids get the chance to perform too, and 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 it's kind of like a startup for them. That is so neat. Has have your kids seen your performances, things you guys have done and, and created before? Or is this a this first, is a first, first time, time for my kids for sure? Yeah, right. my kids saw me last year. Yeah, yeah. What was that? What did they say afterwards? It was great. They're like, "Daddy, you're a rock star." Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were trying to create. You know, and, and if we can leave with those type of moments, uh, that's that's a win for us. If you and I talk in five years about Faechella. What do you hope we'll be talking about? Faith Chella number seven. It's only going to get bigger, you know, so I think in five years, like, hopefully it can be, like, one of the biggest festivals around here for sure. And it's a surprise that I'm going to have tomorrow that I'm going to post tomorrow to add to the show. We got a surprise in yes, here now. big surprise. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith spoke with Spider Crazy 8 and Jay Wash, host of Faith Chella, in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio yesterday. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, Van Buren, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Our show produced by Timothy Dennis. More Sunday morning at 9 on Weekend Ozarks at Large. And another week of daily programs begins Monday at noon. I'm Kyle Kellums. Have a safe weekend. We'll talk again soon.